Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. We're in the, well, it's not the new studio. It's soon to be new studio, but it's <laughs> lots of new stuff. People can't see it. Because <laughs> well, I just threw up a thing on our WhatsApp group, so some people can see it. Okay, there but, you go. Uh, to explain to those people who don't know what the hell we're talking about. So we record in David's second bedroom mm-hmm. and we always have done. And yeah, the longer we've done it, the more shit and cables have, have gone all over the place. And so we've fire decided, hazards. yeah, exactly. Fire hazards. So we've decided let's, let's sort this thing out. So our, our amazing guys who, who help with our YouTube um, editing made us this really cool sort of, was it an Ikea trolley? Yeah. It's so like a, it's like a, I guess a podcast box. So all of our lighting, our cameras, laptop. the laptop, the audio recording device, everything's powered through this one box. So yeah. yeah, it just means that we don't have a thousand cables running everywhere, potential fires starting. Well, more so now the cameras don't move. They're yes. fixed onto a table and yeah. they're in one position. <laughs> so Before we had them like sitting on like a box. It was like yeah. <laughs> pretty amateur. It was. So we're almost there. And then we've got new things going to get rid of this. This lovely little backdrop, we're going to put a neon yeah, sign up there. Yeah, our famous sort of black backdrop is going to go and we're going to get something cool. Yeah. I don't want to say what it is in case we don't get it. But we'll we're, get it. we're going to try and get something cool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to try and get a neon sign. Yeah, so, yeah. I think it'll be good, actually. With Joe Rogan, of- eat your heart out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be better. <laughs> yes. So why are we recording on a Sunday? We, don't, we never do a Sunday Well, because session. you're going away soon and we need to, yeah. we need to get stuff recorded in advance so <laughs> otherwise there'll be riots on the streets exactly. oh, <laughs> maybe Who maybe knows? so you're off to dubai yeah going uh just with the family uh, you know, haven't seen my folks in ages like well over two years they're gonna meet you in dubai yeah they're gonna come from london to dubai right. and take uh, obviously wife and kids and my sister's coming with her kids mm. so should be fun um, but yes, so we won't have any content. Um, and, you know, sadly last week we were supposed to do three episodes. It was going to be a busy week. And then mm. for various reasons, it just fell to pieces and we didn't record last week. No. Well, sometimes so, it happens. People get busy. Definitely happens. They forget. They decide they don't like us. Yeah. Oh. Well, look, what I've noticed as well is that all of the companies, so Allegan, Galderma, et cetera, Tioxane, they're all busy doing yeah. stuff now. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone's diaries suddenly gone nuts. Mm-hmm. Including tonight I'm going for a dinner with some Allegan um, colleagues and tomorrow we've got train the trainer day and it like it just doesn't stop it's just there's no such thing as a nine to five monday yes. to friday anymore it keeps going are you gonna go indoor skiing in dubai yes i went last time and i'll go again how it's, big is this how big is it it's not that big i don't even know if it's a kilometer long but it's cool it's very very cool it's the as well as far as i know it's still the world's only indoor black run Right. Uh, and it's amazing. You know, you, you literally you can wander around in thongs and shorts going shopping and then you go for a ski, they give you everything, and then you go shopping again in your shorts. It's, <laughs> it's bizarre. Ar- the arrogance of human beings. Yes. No, fuck it. We're going to put a ski field <laughs> in the desert <laughs> yeah. just because we can. Because you can. I wonder how much electricity that thing is. Yeah, I'd, l- I'd like to know the electricity bill. It'd be good. 
So yes, um, enough banter. Yeah. Well, new news first of all. So I don't think we've formally announced actually on a podcast for those people who maybe don't follow us on socials and stuff. Our YouTube channel is finally up finally. and running. We've been speaking about that probably since week two of launching the podcast, but finally it's out. Um, it's been a bit of a, a higgledy piggledy start. Did I say that right? Higgledy piggledy. It'll do. Um, we sort of, you know, we launched sort of probably a bit quicker than we wanted to because we were at Cosmeticon and we wanted to sort of launch that on stage and get a bit of traction. Um, but yeah, if you go to Inside Aesthetics on YouTube, obviously, you mm -hmm. can find some videos now. Yeah, and I guess the videos, they're not full episodes. Yeah. So well, I'm taking notes every episode here on on the stuff that I think would make good <laughs> clips. But it's just like five, 10-minute clips, just teasers, stuff that might have been really pertinent, a really important piece of information, something funny, just something to give people visually um, an understanding of what it is we do, who we are, what we're talking about. And then if they like it, then they can go and listen to the full episode on, yeah. on one of their favorite platforms, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts. But eventually, eventually we may do full videos, but we'll see. We're not quite there yet. And also maybe some bespoke ones just for YouTube. So yeah. sort of outside of the podcast, but I need more time before we do that. So you just need to look up Inside Aesthetics on YouTube. Yeah. Hopefully we're the only ones. Please subscribe, um, <laughs> like, ring the bell, all of that jazz. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so you get all the fresh content each time. Yeah. And um, if you are sort of a, a more engaged fan and, and you actually want to contribute a bit more, we've actually got a WhatsApp group going now. Yeah. So um, what we'll do, because there's not an easy way of advertising this through a podcast, but I'll throw up uh, some links on our Instagram stories so you can join. And uh, basically what we do in there is obviously have a bit of banter. Yeah. Always nice to sort of connect with fans, but also, um, you know, gather questions for future guests, get your opinions on, on how some of the episodes resonated and just sort of, you know, help us sort of uh, questions. evolve. Yeah, evolve the, the podcast and yeah. make things even more relevant for you guys. Yeah. So, um, well, the reason we're here to talk, well, just you and I here today is because we had a, a, a great episode with uh, Mr. Jahan Kalanta, who's a solicitor here in Australia. I think it sounds scary to say criminal lawyer. Criminal. Well, he specializes in criminal and medico-legal. Yeah. Um, it was and, quite scary, some of it. Well, you know, it's. I think a lot of people don't really understand or don't have a full appreciation for, you know, the things that can go wrong, what that all means, the things that lawyers potentially looking for in terms mm. of your compliance, record keeping that could bring you unstuck, even if you think you've done all the right things. So we had heaps of great feedback from people, a lot of people that were quite scared, a lot of people that were quite um, surprised. It was very educational. And we thought, well, let's talk talk about that a little bit further because there's been heaps of things that have been happening um, in and around the world, particularly here in Australia with, with changes to legislation. Yeah. Um, it is an industry that is getting more and more attention. You know, there's been lots of different groups within the industry asking for regulatory um, intervention and you know your wish might come true and um and then it'll be out of your hands yeah so you need to be prepared and so we just thought we'd catch up today and talk about from an injector's perspective you know compliance what it means to you what you do in your practice from a medical perspective and then from my perspective i guess a business owner's perspective which isn't always a medical professional especially in sort of franchise chain clinic situations what do we need to know about what are the things that pop up day to day in a clinic that potentially could bring you undone or your injectors undone from stock control to scripts to note keeping to complaints adverse events how to report them when to let your insurer know all these sorts of things that um i've learned sometimes the hard way yeah um so if anyone can learn from my knowledge and my mistakes that's great <laughs> um but yeah it's it's a it's a tricky topic that doesn't really get taught in any training courses you sort of pick bit you know you, you might baptism by fire you find all, all about it when it's too late we're well, even planning for this podcast you know I, I i've sort of cobbled together 
various things and essentially you know i'm sorry if this is if this is a little bit boring for those not in australia but essentially we're governed by our state's health board Mm. so they sort of you know throw out the main regulatory expectations i guess if if you want and that affects both clinics and and clinic owners and injectors or medical professionals then you've got um you you know your own medical boards um you know, scope of practice type um, regulatory um, frameworks. So if you're a doctor, dentist, nurse, you're sort of under slightly different different spheres of what your scope of practice should be. Sorry, my phone's on. I'm going to turn that off. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Um, Then you've got, you know, things slightly outside of that. Like uh, here in Australia, we've got the TGA. So they govern advertising, social media, and all the things that you can and can't do in a marketing perspective. And, you know, when you think about it, you've kind of got to be a a broad of four or five regulatory sort of things that don't always intersect. But if you don't do any of them properly, you could get in trouble. Yeah. And and none of that is published in, in a, in a formal framework on one piece of paper. I mean, it'd be impossible, but yeah. And a lot of these government institutions don't talk to each other. They're sort of these islands. They sort of stand alone and operate independently Yeah. and sort of, you need to understand all the requirements, all that's expected of you and what potentially can happen if things go wrong. Maybe just a bit of a disclaimer. This is not intended to be legal (laughs) advice. We don't claim to be medico-legal experts. This is just us talking from our own experiences and things that we've learned along the way from mistakes and watching other people's mistakes. So please um, don't listen to what we have to say in terms of how you should structure your practice, but just take it as, you know, experiences that, that sort of we're happy to share with you but anecdotes. please anecdotes but please talk to From your experience yeah uh but not full, fully knowing people yeah so talk to your local friendly lawyer uh, who'll in yeah. your area in your in your country or your region and, and joking aside that there will be there's a lot of facebook forums mm. and, and you know whatsapp groups uh, with, with injectors and they'll often ask each other these questions like, oh, hey, uh, you know, how should I set up a clinic? And hey, what should I do with, you know, toxin? How do I store it? Or, yeah. or, or whatever falls under the, these sort of, so, um, you know, these sort of guidelines. And, and the answer is find out yourself. Mm. Don't ask a WhatsApp forum. Go yeah. onto the APRA website or the TGA website or whichever website it is and, and read it. Yeah. Print out those guidelines and somehow create your own clinics framework because no one... No one can do it apart from yourself. Yeah. And of course, working with a lawyer. I mean, have you noticed that in this industry, people just tend a lot, and I've been guilty of this myself. Oh, did you hear about such and such? Or this is this is apparently what's supposed to happen. Or this product's <laughs> not good. Or this this toxin causes this. Or But people are just going off other people's, you know, did you hear they said this? Or they're saying this now. Yeah. It's like, you know, you need to find out for yourself because quite often Chinese whispers um, aren't really what you should be using to guide your, your experiences or your decisions, really. Sorry, your, your decisions. Particularly be- when it comes to a clinical decision. Yeah. You know, that won't stand in court that, oh, uh, the, the Sydney Facebook forum told me I should do it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah. not going to work. No, it won't fly. Not at all. So where should we where should we get started, Jake? Um, well, well, actually, and also to reference back um, for those in Australia, we did quite a good one, episode one twenty six, yeah, with uh, the panel discussion where 
we got four key, key or thought leaders together uh, to sort of discuss some of this in a quite open, sometimes stark way. And so we had cosmetic physician, dermatologist, plastic surgeon, and uh, someone representing the, uh, the CNA, the Nurses um, Association. And, you know, if, if you want to sort of get the background to some of that, that, that was a good place to start, if you're wondering. Yeah. Um, well, why don't we first give the lay of the land so i think a lot of this kicked off again quite recently mm -hmm. maybe in the last six months there was uh well firstly actually in the lockdown as we were emerging from our second lockdown here in sydney there was suddenly some new guidelines from new south health new south wales health mm -hmm. that kind of rejigged slightly how uh certain things happen including what the responsibilities are on clinic owners like yourself yeah. so I don't know if you can maybe not summarize, but just give some key points of what you you noticed change. I mean, one of them was you've got more responsibility on basically what happens under your roof, which yeah. you would have thought would always have been the case, but it wasn't. No, well, I mean, traditionally it's always been or care no responsibility for business owners because you don't hold a medical license, you're not a registered nurse or a doctor. So in terms of what could happen to you, I mean, you're not a member of them, you don't have a, a, a registration to be protecting. So... Um, it was always up to or would fall back on the people that were working in your business. And yeah. that created a bit of a, a difficult situation for um, injectors particularly who understood what their responsibilities are from a medical and legal perspective but could be put in positions where they might have been asked to do things or working within businesses that had systems set up that weren't compliant. And they'd find themselves in a tough position where perhaps they weren't doing the right thing because hmm. they were almost, you know, forced, for lack of a better word, um, into doing things that weren't exactly kosher, which could have brought them undone. So <clears throat> it's an interesting industry because, you know, it's highly lucrative if you run good run a good business, particularly, you know, in the past. I mean, it's becoming more and more competitive now, but traditionally it's been a very lucrative industry to be involved in. So it attracted a lot of business people. Yeah. And business people know how to run businesses, but not always how to run businesses that have a medical component to them. Yeah. Um, and I think there was a disconnect between the responsibilities of what you need to do as a medical professional and what your boss is asking you to do potentially as your, as your, your owner who doesn't understand and doesn't have those like restraints or True. potential repercussions on them. But there was also, I guess, the, the, the other dynamic the other way where the injector, I don't know how to put this, maybe deliberately was slightly under the radar by working out of practices such as, you know, nail salons or hair salons yeah. for, you know, not non-recognized, I guess, injectable clinics where kind of they could do anything. Yeah. And, and, you know, certainly the, the hair salon owner wasn't going to get involved in, in anything regulatory. They just wanted to rent out their room for an injector. Yeah. So I, th I think those sorts of days are going. Yeah. I don't know if they've gone, and but they they're, they're going. Yeah. They, they, of course. I mean, we keep on banging on about these being medical procedures, which of course they are. And yet, for whatever reason, that hasn't really been always the case mm. in, in practice. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so when you went back after lockdown, what, what things did you have to start to do that you weren't doing prior? I mean, to be honest with you, I was already doing what I needed to do. Good um, answer. Yeah. So, I mean, I, di I didn't actually change anything really, to be honest with you, because we, I guess, you know, in the business I'm working in with a chain clinic that already has a lot of attention on it, people yeah. are always looking at the big players within the industry. And when you've got the crosshairs on you or people really micro analyzing what you're doing, you have to be doing 
above and beyond what is ordinarily required to make sure that you're absolutely beyond reproach. So from my perspective, there wasn't really any changes, but I know that a lot of businesses were scrambling to try and get their head around what was required of them, what the repercussions are for non-compliance and actually putting in new processes. Because when you run a business, it's not just about having a chat to one person. Mm. It's about setting up a process and a system that is scalable. You can replicate it. You know that every single person has the same information. They've got the same tools to do the job and you've actually got it outlined in your procedural guide, in your procedural manual or whatever it is that governs the way your business runs to ensure that everybody's on the same page. Yeah, I mean, there's an assumption, which I think is completely wrong, that the chain clinics kind of are, you know, lower quality in some Mm -hmm. way. But actually, I think if you think about it, the size of them and and the budget behind them, their frameworks are going to be pretty solid. Uh, They they can't run it any other way because they've got to run 150 plus clinics across the country. Yeah. So like you said, you've probably been doing it for years, all this stuff. And, and, you know, whether it's um, stock checks, fridge checks, Mm -hmm. um, having protocols in place for various things, that that, that was already probably done by your clinics. Whereas you go to your average boutique, standalone clinic i'm telling you now half of them won't have yeah proper protocols they might have like you know an emergency medical bag in the corner that's been gathering dust but are they really sort of having protocolized um systems probably not no it's a good point you raise i think as you said people when they think of the chain clinics they think oh low price they must be non-compliant or then you know they're cutting corners but in actual fact they have so much money and resources behind them that especially when you start getting like private equity involved or people that sort of understand like corporate governance and the importance of compliance, they really hammer down on this kind of stuff and will throw lots of money and resources at it in terms of like getting a medical board, you know, running things at a scale, you know, they've got a lot of experience at rolling things out at scale and doing it at speed. So the chain clinics, even as far as the training of the people that are working with their organization, because a lot of people come into these chain clinics that don't have any experience in this industry and they provide that training, they do it a lot better than any of the standalones that I've seen. And I'm sure that probably infuriates a lot of people, but it's the reality of the situation is because they know that they've got a target painted on their back. Correct. So Yeah, and and weirdly, although it's nice to have it explicitly, in these new guidelines, uh, which were sort of an update to what's called the Poisons Act, Mm -hmm. it actually prohibits a non-medical person from injecting, which, you know, (laughs) here in Australia, we sort of, laugh at and we think it would never happen but i'm sure it's happened somewhere but it's now it's nice and explicit it just says effectively nurse or doctor yeah uh, it doesn't actually say dentist but i think it says medical professional so that in- includes dentists yeah whereas yes you know we keep on pointing to the uk uh, i know that's a different problem but interestingly just a week or two ago um in parliament um there was a new I don't know what, uh, it's not passed yet, but they're going to vote on it. But each clinic will have to have some sort of license now. Yeah. So it looks like even in the UK, things are potentially changing. And, um, you know, who, who can get their hands on this license? Don't know. But it looks like even the regulation there is starting to sort of ramp up. So, you know... I, I, I hope that it, it makes things better for us, but it's still, there's just so many things that we need to think about and too many uh, regulatory bodies that it can be still a, bit, a little bit difficult and confusing. Yeah. And especially for um, people coming into the industry that haven't worked in it before. Yeah. Um, it's their first experience. So you don't get taught this stuff in medical school. You don't get the, taught this stuff when you're studying to become a nurse. This is all stuff that you have to try and figure out when you get started and it's a lot of responsibility and there's a lot of stuff that you won't realize you're doing wrong until it's too late. Yeah. Until 
someone like Jahan comes knocking or sends you a nice friendly email. Hello, we'd like some money, please. Uh, <laughs> or the Department of Health knock on your door and say, we'd like to do a surprise. An audit. We'd, li- well, we'd, the, like, we'd like to do an audit. Well, please show us aside, everything. You know, and, and maybe people weren't aware of this who maybe aren't in Australia. So when uh, there was an issue in 2017 where very sadly a, a patient who was also a clinic owner died mm. of a botched um breast filler procedure. So it's it an unusual procedure, but but actually what happened was the, the lady died of toxicity of... Uh, was it tramadol? Well, a, a painkiller of some yeah. description that was delivered IV and she had a, you know, a cardiac event and, and sadly died. So as a result of that, um, there was a big, I'm not going to call it a knee-jerk reaction, but the, the health boards and, and ARPA who, who regulate doctors, there was a big sort of sort of eye-open movement where they started like raiding clinics and, mm. and you know you were at the the sort of sharp end of that yeah. what what sort of things happened what did they do uh just coming in and making sure that everything looked compliant checking drug books checking fridges checking to make sure you're monitoring uh temperature who's ha- like asking questions of staff around who's handling the drugs what happens when they arrive hmm. um how are you checking stock um, patients being accounted for in things like drug books, um, just all, I mean, all the stuff that we had already been doing, but it never been checked before. So yeah. I think that there was almost like a false sense of security that like we do this stuff because we have to, but no one ever checks. Yeah. And the and reality is they, they, st- they start checking. Yeah. Um, and it gets people really nervous. And sometimes that's a good thing. I think it's good to be slightly nervous yeah. um, because- as I know a said, few nurses who who had a similar experience, but of course they didn't have the backing of big corporations yeah. and and those frameworks. Did you? What happened to them? Did you? Uh, no. Well, no one I know got in trouble. Inverted commas. There there were recommendations. So. I don't know if you were doing your notes on paper. Maybe that wasn't seen as best practice. Yeah. And um, you know. Uh, you know, looking at the notes, for example, and and what is in your notes and what is seen as a good note, and are they temporal notes? Are they done at the right time? Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. Let's let's actually maybe let maybe let's start with notes because that's something that is a conversation that comes up in my clinics all the time. Um, I haven't seen um, anyone provide a guideline of what the perfect clinical note is in mm. terms of when should you do it, what should it include. How long does it have to be? Yeah. How much like detail do you need to put in there? You know, um, if you're using a software system where perhaps multiple people access it, do you need to identify it as written by you? It could, is, is there issues potentially where that note can be changed retrospectively? Yeah. So there's all these. I mean, I even had the other day someone asked me, is it the you know, oh, do I need to put my batch number of my Botox in there mm-hmm. because it's in the drug book? And it's like, well no, no, your your drug book doesn't count as a clinical note. Yeah. What happens if that drug book disappears and 12 months later, you don't know where that drug book is or it's in a storage somewhere and you need access quickly to find out yeah. what was the drug that was used, what was the actual batch number that, that say, syringe or filler came from? How are you ever going to find that? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a great point. I mean, you're right. I, I've never been taught how to do it. And in fact, even when I you know, uh, would do an operation and then write the note. There wasn't really a standard way of doing it apart from, you know, uh, reason for operation, how you pre- prepared the patient, the main steps of the operation, and then the plan, like, you know, what dressings, what can the patient do after and what should they eat, that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. it, there wasn't like a system. Yep. So when it comes to injectables, again, I mean, I guess every every situation is so different. And also, the way you do your notes is going to vary depending on what your system is, what yeah. your operating system. So I know in your clinics, um, 
you know, there's some functionality, but essentially you've got a big box that you free type. That, yep. That's effectively what it was. Yep. And many systems will be similar. Yep. So it, th then it sort of comes down to, well, okay, well, what are you going to write? And, and how much are you going to write per patient in a busy clinic? Yep. Um, you know, that could take you a bit of time. So well, what I don't about, know. What's, well, why don't we start with what, what do you include in your notes? So a typical patient comes in to see Dr. Jake Sloan for the magical treatments that he gives to his patients. Hmm. And what do you, the, you know, when do you do it? And, and what are you sort of writing in there? Um, how do I do it? Okay, so, yeah, over the lockdown, um, I looked at all of my paperwork, all of my um consultation forms and even you know my timetabling because of course it was mad busy when we went back into clinic um so i use a system called timely which to be fair isn't supposed to be an all-encompassing all-encompassing clinical um sort software of system. software mm -hmm. it, it's more for bookings but also it's got a great sort of side app that integrates with Timely that's called Consultation. I right. think it's called Consultation. Yeah. So on there, for example, if I'm meeting a new patient for the first time, I have no idea what they want. I've got quite an expansive um, consultation form. And obviously I've got all the medical history questions, um, social history, job, um, operations they've had in the past, aesthetic treatments they've had in the past, and blah, blah, blah. So that's capturing sort of um, quite general information about, you know, new patients. And then right at the end, I'll, I'll write a quick treatment or suggested treatment plan. Uh, so it could be, you know, toxin, filler, fat dissolver, whatever. And I've got sort of a calendar, so I'll sort of tick on that calendar roughly where I would suggest they do things. But then on a separate piece of paper, I'll, I'll sort of go into more of a detailed consultation. So if I know that they're there for toxin, I open up a second form and all these sort of upload into Timely so I don't have to sort of do any manual, you know, saving or anything. It just does it automatically. Then I'll sort of go into more detail, you know, um, you know, what, what have I examined on their face? Do they have heavy lids? Do they have static lines? Do they have, you know, anything that's going to make the treatment more tricky? And that's more of a tick box exercise. So I've got preformed, um, sorry, pre-populated forms where I just tick the boxes. So I'm not typing sentences. I'm ticking boxes, right. um, which I find saves me time. Yeah. Um, still saves, uh, serves the same purpose. So I'm sort of flagging issues that, yeah. you know, I need to be a bit more cautious of. And then of course there'll be a, a face map that I can draw on a little table for where those units have gone on the face. So glabella, um, bunnies, wherever. Yep. And then at the end, um, I've actually added a section quite recently of, was anything flagged that was, you know, suboptimal, like bruise or patient unhappy for whatever reason or anything that I can just add into the notes there to sort of flag that, you know, I've given the patient extra advice or I have warned them that they've got a bruise or I've warned them that their swelling seems significant or whatever. Because, you know, often you will have that conversation with the patient, but it sort of gets forgotten in the notes. Yeah. And then they call the next day or the next week and I might not be working. And if those notes are there and, and, and they can see everything that was said then that can sort of be easier managed by the clinic. Yeah. Uh, and also medical legally, I've documented, you know, whatever. Yeah. Because, um, you know, you've been in the situation where patients call the next day, often they're not fully educated and they're pissed. They've got a bruise. Yeah. And suddenly there's a huge drama of 100 emails and yeah. stuff happens because of a bruise. Whereas if it's documented properly, it's, everyone's just in the loop. Yeah. Everyone knows. Um, you know, and the same thing for filler and, and all my other consultations. So I'm trying to say there's no right way of doing it. And I guess, you know, the more you have to free type, 
that's kind of the gold standard, but effectively it's going to be time consuming. You probably will forget to write everything. So if you have that sort of system, uh, when I used to work at your clinic, I actually had a sort of a Word document saved um, on my computer where I had pre-sort of populated standard consults so if it was just a toxin treatment i would have you know patient presented with x uh discussed why so many units suggested this was the treatment this is how i clean blah 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 blah, all the way to the bottom and then that could be copy and pasted in and then obviously edited so it's bespoke for that patient so at least i knew i wasn't going to miss anything Mm. those pertinent sort of details yeah i'm not saying that's gold standard either because you can not edit it properly and then there's a problem you've copied and pasted something that's generic I've seen (laughs) so there are no right and wrong ways of doing this but you know you've got to think of a way that works for you and each person's different yeah well you know sort of the the, the whole sort of um, copy and paste thing I've seen that go wrong as well where people forget to edit or there's a a part of the note that they've sort of copied and pasted across and and it's not relevant to the patient that's actually just posted into their notes. So even if you're going to be copying and pasting, um, you can run into issues with that as well. In terms of things like, um, you know, you've got medical history and all that sort of stuff, but in terms of a lot of the time I see um, injectors and business owners run into problems is when they'll make a recommendation you know, uh, for example, uh, you know, 20 units in the glabella, for mm-hmm. example, and the patient says, oh, no, 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 I only get 10, <laughs> right? And then <clears throat> patient comes back, said patient comes back five weeks later, their, bo- their Botox is starting to wear off. Do you water down your Botox? This is dodgy. Blah, blah, this blah, always blah. lasts as long. And if you don't actually write in the notes... Agreed treatment to treatment do rec- suboptimal dose. Correct. You know, that can come back and get you as well. So even, you know, recommendations, I guess you need to make a decision as a, as a, as a clinician whether you're actually going to agree to treat someone who's going to go against your recommendations. But it does happen. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I really, really try and steer away from that because like you said, you're just opening a can of worms by agreeing to doing something that you know is suboptimal and is not going to work. But sure, very occasionally that happens. And again, you know, on, on that little... Um, checkbox that I've got of of precautions like heavy lids and so on one of them is patient I can't remember how I've worded it but it's basically suboptimal dosing Mm -hmm. and and you tick that and then you can free type in that little box under there agreed to you know 10 units instead of 20 and warned both outcome will be suboptimal but also longevity (laughs) and you know and then it doesn't really cover cover the fact that the patient's still going to complain, yes. but it's documented. Yeah. Well, you can go back and say, look, this is a note that was captured at the time of the consultation or the treatment. Yeah. It can't be edited retrospectively. Yeah. We did discuss this. I did document it. You sort of you're Done. in a you're in a much better position, I think, to be able to defend. Yeah. You know yourself because it it does happen time and time again. People have selective memories. They forget parts of the conversation that they want to forget extremely yeah yes and all of a sudden you know you're the worst person in the world what about things like um you know adverse events in terms of you know if someone has well i don't know if it's considered an adverse event like someone has like a vasovagal or Mm. they have a like a nasty reaction or maybe they've got a slightly you know highlights for example where they start getting a slight you know allergic reaction to it not a full-blown anaphylaxis but Mm. little things like that i mean are you documenting those kinds of things as well yeah for sure um normally that would come at the end of my personal consult sheet in the in the you know, where I mentioned bruises and things that weren't quite right, it would go there for sure. And again, for something like that, you you really want to be documenting things like what happened, what was said, what you did, who was involved, what, you know, medicines were delivered in dose and time and all the rest of it. 
normally for these things like vasovagal, you, you may not give anything. You just drop the bed, yeah. make sure they don't fall off the bed because sometimes they sort of get a bit jerky. Mm-hmm. Of course, some clinics might recommend putting oxygen on, which is a drug, so it's got to be documented. And then also, what did you tell the patient to do after, i.e. ask to remain for you know half an hour to make sure they're okay because often these people are going to drive home. You just don't want to not write these things if someone then potentially is going to fall sick or have an accident at home. Yeah. So again, yes, please don't forget to write these things because I mean th- that would be a disaster. Can you imagine a vasovagal? Nothing's in the notes. Patient crashes on the way home. You know, it'd just be an <laughs> absolute disaster. Oh my God. But you know, if if you've written your little plan, fantastic, no yeah. argument, and you've done all the right things. So how long does it take you to to write your clinical notes? So on your average, I mean, I you know you're going to have some that run longer than others, but if you sort of had to pick your average time, not long at all. I mean. Even for my standard regular toxin patient, which, you know, in in theory doesn't take long at all, assuming there's no dose adjustment and and they're well and they're not pregnant, etc. So the actual treatment might only take me 10 minutes, maybe less, who knows. But I still pad out half an hour for that session because we may have a discussion about, you know, further treatment or we just have a pleasant chat about whatever. Then I need to obviously check them out and, and, and all the rest of it. And then I need to do my notes. Right. So I won't compromise on my, um, you know, my diary because I can cram more people in because I know I've, I've tried it. it. It doesn't work. You, you, you end up chasing your tail or, or, or being late for the next patient because you're trying to do your notes so i just think you know you just need to assume that you need longer than 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 you imagine yeah and you know if you've got a bit of extra time have a cup of tea yeah enjoy your enjoy your day it shouldn't be stressful no where where you're running around like a headless chicken i've done that and it actually reminded me of hospital work where yeah. i was getting headaches and i was sort of exhausted and I didn't get time to eat lunch because, you know, I was sort of running late and that's not how it should be. So give yourself plenty of time for your consults. Yeah. And it's always that trade-off, isn't it, between making sure that you're, you know, from a financial and business perspective that you are moving in an efficient manner without trying to compromise, you know, on the quality of your treatments or taking the time to record clinical notes. Um, Something that that sort of comes up a little bit is when to do the clinical notes. Mm. Um, I've had countless conversations with injectors over the years who think that by the end of their shift after seeing 10 clients, maybe 15 clients, that they'll leave all of their notes to the end of the day. Crazy. And then, and then they're going to be able to remember everything that happened. I, and I, I mean, I I would love to know how you develop that type of memory capability because I don't have it. But I mean, what do, you, what do you think about that? I think it's crazy and dangerous and, you know... <laughs> it's not possible. I mean, you know, when they do those memory exercises where you've got to remember 10 objects and then you have to recite them. I can't do that. Can you remember 10 objects if I told you them? I can't remember one object. No, no. (laughs) So you're not going to remember in detail treatment plans, uh, you know, face maps of where you did things. Yeah. Um, you know, all these minor bespoke things that you gave people different advice for, not going to happen. Yeah. And uh, I know we did it to death on Jahan's one, but it's a complete no-no. And um, you, you've got to do it there on the spot. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to forget and it will catch up with you, trust me. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's what Jahan was saying was that um, 
someone like him is looking through these notes and looking for something in inaccuracy, something that you've gotten wrong, even if it's the patient's age, yeah. um, the treatment that you did, the product that you used, where you, they're looking for something to be, able in to, your armor. to be able to discredit you yeah. as, as a witness or to uh, defend you know, your And position. most of these uh, softwares, including the one that I use and, and in your clinic, yes. there's a timestamp. Yeah. So if you do it at six o'clock after your day has finished for your first patient who you saw at 10 in the morning, it will say that. Yeah. And there's no arguing. You didn't do it at the time and you can't honestly say that everything you wrote was accurate. It's just not possible. Yeah. The other thing that um, I found uh, when I was researching this podcast was in ACT, so that's the uh, the capital um, state where Canberra is, New South Wales and Victoria, the law suggests that we have to keep notes for a minimum of seven years. Mm. Yep. So again, if you're doing this on pieces of toilet paper somewhere... <laughs> And storing them in random cupboards and then you move or you do a renovation. Like, yeah, it, it's it's not good. You need a proper system where these things are archived and and probably ideally, obviously confidentially put into the cloud so they're, they're safe and also have backups of that because you never know with cloud services or, you know, you just don't know. Yeah. And there are also services as well if you do come, if you have a practice that was paper-based and you're moving to sort of a paperless environment where everything's uploaded on your software system, there are companies around that will take that data and scan it and get it up into the cloud for you. It can be yes. a little bit of a, a pricey, slow process, but it seems like the only way to go. I mean, these paper notes and, and <laughs> too many things. You know, it's always the patient that has a complication, that has a complaint, and you just can't find their bloody note. It's the one that you cannot find. You can yeah. find everyone else's who's completely happy, <laughs> but the patient that's got an issue, you cannot find that, that file or that consent form or something's yeah. missing. Always, always the way it's, it's that one all the time. And, and the other thing that I'm not, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure if you're going to use a cloud service where, you know, they're using servers, those servers need to be based in Australia mm -hmm. to be compliant. Yeah. So you can't have it out in Kazakhstan or you yeah. know, wherever. And, and you also need to have a look at what their security system looks like yes. in terms of, because hackers are out there, right? Yeah. They love this shit. Yeah. You know, if they can grab sensitive data that oh, they know man. is going to have you buy the, you know what, you know, give us X amount of dollars or all this data. Well, that stuff's happening more frequently. Yeah. Uh, maybe not in the same way, but for example, I know so many people now whose Instagram accounts are being hacked uh, yeah. and just dismantled. Their whole businesses are just disappearing because of, uh, I guess, um, you know, just poor security. Well, what or, about if patients are sending you photos on Instagram and they're sitting there yes. in your private messages and someone hacks into it and steals yes. it and then publishes it on the internet? Yeah, I, I, I agree. <laughs> I, I don't like to DM with, with patients. And, you know, just from a, a, a professional perspective, you can't have a, a sort of a pseudo consult through a DM. It's just not it's just not how it should be. So best yeah. practice, do, do it all in your clinic and, and use your, your system, mm. upload onto compliant servers and clouds and yeah. get away from paper. So one thing I'm looking at at the moment, um, just out of interest, a friend of mine's asked me to give them some advice on, on from a business perspective. And we're currently looking at um, what voice recognition might be able to offer. So there's mm. a program out there that's free called Otter, O-T-T-E-R, um, I'm looking to see whether it actually works within um, a software environment, within like a clinical environment, but it looks promising. I'm just still looking into what the law says around it. I'm assuming if doctors, if lawyers can use it for their for their note keeping, I'm sure it's legal for doctors and nurses to be doing it as well. But that could save a lot of time. If you're someone that's a slow typer, 
and speaking is a lot more easy for you than typing like it is for, for most people, then that might be something you want to look at as well as integrating some kind of voice recognition system that will type your clinical notes as you speak. You can do that untimely, actually. Oh, not, you can. Okay. On the system I'm using. Yeah. So if you click in that free type box and you're using an iPad, maybe not a Mac, but an iPad, right. you can you know click the sort of microphone button. You can actually say your notes. Yeah, there you go. Now I've tried it and, and you know, because you're using medical words and and stuff like that it, it's pretty inaccurate yeah so you end up having to go and edit it and i just can't be bothered yeah i think otter learns as it goes i think i think if you use words and you correct it then it'll know them i'm um, don't quote me on that I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it does otter's quite good because yeah. actually <laughs> i've used it to transcribe some of our podcasts yeah right there you go um but you know i mean it takes a bit of time because our podcasts are massive yeah but um it, it's pretty good and, and what you can do is you can yeah like you said if, if you give it a word that it didn't recognize before it will sort of learn it yeah or, or better learn and you it. have the ability to go in and edit so it might if you say it and it gets it 80 percent right 90 percent right and you just skim read it and go oh well that's not a word let me just change that or whatever or i mumbled there yeah it's a lot it's still a lot quicker than typing it freehand from scratch yeah yeah going back to diarizing and scheduling yeah. and and probably more relevant for you because you're running multi-clinic mm -hmm. uh sort of franchises how how do you guys do it because obviously you've probably got different levels of injectors and experience and sometimes you've got two injectors on the same day and like w what do you notice has not maybe worked so well and, and what things did you do to in improve? terms of sorry well so for example you know uh, did, does everyone do the same time for their consults or did you say, Everyone's Hey, you're a newbie. We're going to extend yours or, yeah. or whatever. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, a bit of a case by case basis. I mean, the last thing you want to do is rush, rush a new injector, someone that's inexperienced that is still learning all the ropes, you know, remembering everything that they need to say in terms of, um, consent, you know, uh, running through all the ad potential side effects and complications. So a lot of the time when injectors are getting starting, that sort of stuff doesn't come second nature yet. So I think it's about having just converse honest conversations with new injectors and, and being very open about the fact that, look, we understand this is going to take you longer to begin with. That's fine. We'd rather you be thorough and accurate than to speed through and trying to get things done mm. just for the sake of moving through patients quickly because you want to see more patients. Yeah. So generally you'll increase their time to see a client by at least 50%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And this may sound like such an obvious um, point, but communicating what is needed per injector to reception yeah. and, and any therapist who may be manning reception because yeah. – you know, the last thing you need is a whole day booked that's inappropriate. Yeah. And then that injector feels pressured or you get patients who are pissed because yeah. uh, things are not running smoothly. So, you know, it, it's, it's just an easy thing to do, but communicate with the whole team of yeah. what's expected. Yeah. And not only from how long it's going to take you to do it, it's like what is it in, within your scope of practice at the moment? Yes. Don't you know? put me noses if I don't Yeah, noses. don't give me temple fillers on my first day. <laughs> do you know, for, like, so being very open and transparent with all of your team, when you are taking phone calls for prospective patients and booking them in with injectors and you have a team of them, it's about putting the right patient with the right injector. If someone's getting a treatment or want to have a chat around a specific area that might be advanced, then don't put them with a new injector. Yeah. And I know it sounds really obvious and stupid to say, but you'd be surprised, even in my clinics over the years, how many times that gets missed. Even with me knowing what I what I know, you know, it, these things slip through slip through the net. So under making sure your whole team understands what the requirements are of each injector, how long they take to do each treatment, how long they need, even between clients, you might want to give them like a 10 minute buffer just to 
because I know it's it's a lot of sort of mental energy that yeah. goes into when you're injecting. It's very stressful when you first get started because you you're sort of feeling your way. You haven't done this before. Things are taking you longer. You know, you want to have take a moment to reflect, take time to do your notes. It's not it's not second nature to you yet. So not just even treatment time post to get notes done maybe you know go to the bathroom grab a you know grab a breath of fresh air gather your thoughts and calm yourself down before your next patient all these things yep. foster um building someone in a constructive way that's still that's still going to make them feel safe and also for your patients to be safe it also makes your business look slicker you know yeah. chasing your tail and running around like everything just looks perfect yeah you don't want your business to feel like you're running to catch a flight yeah. You know, and sometimes that happens in these busy clinics. You know, you've just got people, bodies everywhere. Patients get in the shits because you thought it would only take the injector 20 minutes to do Botox. I've been in there for 40 minutes. You book someone in 20 minutes later and all of a sudden this injector that's new trying to develop their skills is flustered because they've got patients complaining and banking up. It's like a train. And domino you know, effect. Yeah, they just keep the banking day. up on each other and it can turn into a disaster really quickly. Definitely. Yeah. Now, we mentioned drugs and storage and fridges. Yeah. What happens in your clinics? Because I, I, I know it's pretty standard, but but it's worth mentioning because in, in some countries it might be different. Yeah. So so what happens in your injector's room when, you know, a big box of toxin arrives from, from one of the companies? Yeah. What, what do you do with it? So it has to be handled by the registered um, medical professional. So whether they be a doctor or a nurse, they're the ones that need to handle it unpack it um, generally what will happen is you'll send in like someone from the management team in while that stock is being unpacked you check the invoice make sure that everything that's on the invoice is actually what is within the box look even big companies like Allergan or Galderma occasionally occasionally they won't be 100% accurate something will be missing maybe mm. you got too much product maybe you got the yeah, wrong that's true you can yeah, get too much or you've got the wrong type you know, you've got one kind of filler and you ordered another kind of filler. So just from a, a business practice perspective, just always double checking to make sure the contents of your box. And having two pairs of yeah. eyes makes that a yeah. lot easier. Especially when your tox arrives, making sure that the ice has actually done its job. Like it's cool, the product's cool. Like something, I've had situations before many years ago where something turned up and it was warm. The ice had completely melted and it was warm. And how long, had it, and how long had it been like that for? Yeah. So even things like that. And then basically the way it works is, you know, in my clinics, we run <clears throat> like a stock tracker, like a daily stock tracker. So this is separate from the drug book where you have just like a table pre-populated with all your different products, like your Botox and Juvederm and all that sort of stuff. And you've got a running total of what's actually there on the day. Yeah. And then you've got like a stock in and stock out, and then you've got an end of day count. I remember I did yeah. it for hundreds of days yeah. with you. <laughs> so, yeah, so basically when the stock comes in, you add it to your total. So you've got a column, say you've got, you know, 20 units of Botox, 20 arrives, and then you've got 40. 20? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was more than that. But basically making sure that your stock's accounted for. So when it arrives, you've it's being handled by the right person. Everything checks out from the invoice perspective that it's arrived in an appropriate manner, especially when it comes to toxins. And then it's actually being accounted for from a business perspective to make sure that it's added to your stock truck. And then you need to add it to your drug book as well. Yeah. So there's a number of steps that need, need to happen. Yeah. Look, the drug books are interesting and, and don't get me wrong. I think they're a great idea. Yeah. But, but when we talk about drug books, we mean literally the ones that you find in a hospital. It's called like a... a drug a, of addictions. I think, I think it's a drug yeah, of addiction. Yeah, well, I think there's a number of types, yeah. but the one that's seemingly available is a, it's a sort of a, a drug of addictions book. And yeah. you tend to find that on a hospital ward in the yeah. drug room where, where drugs are made up, uh, generally by the nursing staff who are actually, you know, making drugs and giving to patients. So it always struck me as a little bit weird <clears throat> that we, we, we use those for, you know, documentation injectable clinics yeah. because we're not using drugs of addiction. Yeah. And we're not on a ward. 
and yeah, it just seemed like an odd an odd way of doing it. But actually, it works. It you know, like you said, you've got your stock tracker yeah. that you seem to have in your clinics. Then you've got a drug book, which is almost a, a second way of checking what was used on the day per patient. So you'll write the patient's yep. name in, you know, twenty six units of, yep. of whatever disport, uh, one mil of so and so, and it's there. So at the end of the day, you can tally that up with what's in your fridge, what's on your stock tracker, and it's almost just another layer layer of of, of uh, proof that that where that where that drug has gone. But I don't believe it's mandatory. I, I, I don't think it is. I haven't mm. found anywhere that says it is. No, but it's I good. I know that we've had um, Department of Health into one of my clinics in the past, and they did check it. Um, so. I don't know. I mean, again, I can't get a straight answer out of anyone either. I've, I've asked a few people and no one seems to know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Um, but it's definitely best practice. And it's just this sort of double checking or this this multiple layering thing is, is always good because at the end of the day, if you've got, you know, your product that you opened with, then you've got your product that you're closing with, it mm-hmm. should equate to every single, like what's the difference should be what you used in your drug book. Yeah. So it's, it's like a nice way of being able to cross-reference to make sure that your product's there even just, you know, from, look, you know, I know no one on this podcast would ever steal product, but it does happen. Mm. I've had things disappear before in clinics where, you know, like all of a sudden there's like 50 units gone. It's like, well, so how, where is it? So at the end, yeah, at the end of the day, what does the injector say? Well, I mean, the thing is, if you give people an opportunity to do the wrong thing, often they'll be tempted. Right. But if you've got systems in place and like these systems that I've designed have happened over years of like having mysterious things happen or products mysteriously go missing and then you sort of start going okay well how do i stop that from happening in the future yeah. so uh, that that is a challenge of a multi-injector clinic right yeah. you, you never really know what is going on behind the door no. and, and you just have to assume that obviously the right things are happening but yeah. you've got the experience to say that sometimes it doesn't yeah i mean i had a, a particular injector who I, I won't mention for obvious reasons but on that this person's shift with monotonous regularity oh uh, I dropped a vial of Botox. Oh, I uh, I was doing someone's lips, and the the needle came off, and all the all the gel just squirted out all over the place. <laughs> and so I had to develop a policy where, um, if product goes missing during that shift, that um, it became their financial responsibility because I'm buying the stock. Yes, I'm trusting you to inject it, and if it disappears, then it's on like, you. Am I going to have to pay for it? Um, so there was like I think it was like a one strike policy where the first time it happened. Um, the clinic and the injector would go 50-50 mm. in replacing the stock. And then thereafter, um, it would be their responsibility. But then an- I put another process in place, which was that if this happens, like just say you drop a vial of Botox, if that happens, call the manager, take a photograph. Show them the shattered vial. Send it to me and then we can discuss it. Yeah. And so you have to keep putting these steps in place to, yeah. to sort of make sure that you're not leaving yourself open to it – might, it might not even be – Theft. It's just making sure that people understand there's some accountability and there's a process in place yeah. that, that sort of looks at what potentially can go wrong and there's a process in place for when it does. So mm. it's not just, hey, it's gone missing, you know, well. Joking you know, aside, I, yeah. I've been in that situation once where, um, like you said, you, you, you normally thread your needle onto the hub yeah. of the just um, off. filler and, and for whatever reason, 
I, I could have done it wrong, but but it just didn't seem to connect properly. And as yeah. I squirted, it just went yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, in that situation, I contacted the company, explained the situation, and it was fine. They asked me to keep the needle and, and the hub, send it back, and they were happily replacing yeah. it. So if you're in that situation, just yeah. be honest with the company. Yeah. That, you know, they will support you as best as they can. But, yep. uh, yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. Theft. Oh, yeah. I mean, so what what happens then? Have you ever got to the point where you had to discipline them or call the police or what do you oh, do? I didn't call the police. I mean, we just had an agreement in place that, you know, after the first strike where we went 50-50, that if you weren't, if there was not photographic evidence that something had happened, then it was their responsibility to replace it. So funnily enough, after that policy was put in place, there was a decrease in, <laughs> in, in broken Botox files. It the, just... You, you train them. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, if, again, if you, if you have a, a process in place, people are less likely to try and get away with the wrong thing. Yeah. So... Fridges. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, doesn't sound that interesting, but it is. So... <laughs> Medical grade fridges versus, you know, a fridge that you keep your mm -hmm. food in. And this became particularly relevant when we watched that program about six months ago. Oh, yeah. So there was a show called it... Four Corners uh, on <laughs> yeah. TV that exposed some quite unbelievable practice in a cosmetic surgeon's yeah. theatres, let alone practice. There's was uh, vats of fat next to a Snickers bar. Yeah, there were people they were storing human fat along with someone's lunch in the same yeah. fridge. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting yeah but the point being that medical fridges are for medicines yeah. and and such like not your food um so you know if you're an injector don't store your sandwich and coke yeah. in there it's just not it's just not cool um but obviously things like um temperature checks yeah so i know that you guys mm -hmm. in your clinics you do that you know Twice morning a night Twice a day. yep uh every day because mm -hmm. you're open seven days a week yep um and you know you, you will you will find out very quickly if there's a problem yeah many clinics won't be doing that well there's actually um thermometers now that you can buy that are electronic that sit within your fridge and you they connect to an app mm. on your phone and they automatically record the times that you set them to record. I have to say, this yeah. is actually quite, um, sounds such a silly point, but I remember in the lockdowns and, and someone gave me an example of, it wasn't even the lockdown. They just went away on holiday or for whatever they, reason they weren't at work. And they got back to work and realized there'd been a power cut and their whole fridge of toxin, whatever brand they used, it was just, you know, they couldn't use it on patients because they didn't they didn't know what would happen to yeah. it. And that can be tens of thousands of dollars yeah. depending on how well stocked up you are. Well, I know this system. If I can find a name of it, I might we can put it in the um in the description of the podcast somewhere. But I know that one of my friends has it and on their mobile phone they can see the temperature, um, they can set the times, they can set alerts if it goes. Can you change the temperature yeah. within the app? Uh, yes you can. That's pretty no, cool. No, no, you can't change the temperature of the Maybe you can. I'll double check that. Right. You might be able to check the temperature of the fridge, but I know that you can set it to send you alerts if, if the temperature goes below a certain, a bit of a certain level or above a certain level. So you mm. can set it. So you don't just have to keep checking and guessing. It'll actually send you an alert to That's let you know, awesome. hey, something's not right. Because it's not like it's not going to. But you go wonder off if if you've got that in place, then would you even need to do the manual check? No, you don't. Day? It sends it to you every day, so you don't have to. If you've got this automated um, go. process in place, then you, and it automatically, and I think it can send you reports and things like that, so you yeah. don't have to manually do it anymore. That is but awesome. that was always a bit weird too, you know, because every time you're opening up the fridge you're letting, to check the temperature, you're letting cold air out and warm air in and then your temperature's all over the place for a few minutes. So yeah. keeping the fridge closed as much as possible. Yeah, I came across a website today and 
I mean, it was quite interesting. It was suggesting that, you know, obviously you get like heaps of boxes of vials of toxin. Mm -hmm. It was saying, you know, best practice would be to separate them by at least a centimeter. So you get air circulating right. around the boxes. Because, you know, if you compress them all and shove them in a corner, those ones right in the middle may not be the same temperature as ones on the outside. Yeah. So just little things like that. Um, one thing that I've definitely noticed in some clinics that I've, because I used to do the, all the auditing for, for your chain of clinics yeah. a few years ago, I used to go to other clinics and do all these checks. And, um, you know, some of the uh, fridges, sort of the components at the back get much colder than the front. And if your toxin vials are all shoved towards the back, the, the vials start getting frozen yeah. or, or destroyed. Uh, and and again, how how can that be at the right temperature? Yeah. So you just got to be careful with these fridges. Yeah. These um, um, the fifty dollar ones from Aldi. I don't know whether that's a good <laughs> idea or not. I mean, you probably <laughs> want to get one that's of a decent standard because yeah. it is important that it is maintaining temperature, that it's not going to conk out on you. Yeah. That it's not frosting up all the time. I think you can get some that have. Um, you don't need to defrost them all the time. I think. I think yeah, yeah, I mean, most modern fridges you shouldn't have to do that, but particularly if you don't have a fridge, uh, sorry, a, a freezer attached to it. Yeah, right. So yeah, you shouldn't need to defrost a fridge. I've had to do if it you've before. Got right, well, if you've got the right temperature, <laughs> yeah. anyway. But, but sometimes um, they, they start to malfunction as they get older. Yeah. Mm. So you know, it, it may it may seem so sort of boring, but these things have got to be done. You're you're putting these drugs into people's faces and bodies. Yeah. I mean, the last thing you want to do is have a whole raft of patients that have no response because the product's degraded because you've you've been a cheapskate with your fridge or you yeah. don't have a proper process in place. It yeah. can cost you a lot of money and reputational damage too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just touching on sort of that auditing that I used to do. So, you know, it, it touches on many of the things yep. that we've just discussed, but I would go into the room, have a, obviously a quick chat to the injector about any problems and you know, very rarely do that happen. And then I would physically look at the, the fridge temperatures that they've been documenting over the last month because it'd be a monthly audit. Um obviously go through the drug cupboard and look at all of the expiry dates of the filler. Oh, that's a good one. And, yeah. and obviously the toxins. Um, amazing how many times you'd find, you know, stock that's either expiring, you know, that month and they had no idea or has already expired. Yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously from a safety perspective, that's not cool, but also from a business perspective, yeah. this is a shit ton of wasted of money. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. So making sure that when you, it's not really going to happen with your tox, but more your fillers. Yeah. Um, when you bring new fillers and stock them in your cupboard, put your oldest product at the top Correct. and put your newest product at the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, you're just going to keep – you'll keep replenishing on the top. And <laughs> I've seen that. Just, yeah, yeah, it's silly. I've been caught out on it once before, so it's, it's not so – it yeah. does happen. And, you know, and, and we're, I guess, in a, a market now where more products are coming in the market yeah. and – you know, you might decide to stock different brands and it does become harder to to, to sort of use all of those yeah. in good time. Well, I found that... Um, Particularly when they sell, you know, some some of the brands give you a better price for, yeah. for buying more, bulk, which yeah. is great, but you need to know you're going to be using that. Of course. I found that um, if you've got something that's got three months on it or every company might have its own different threshold, but I found that most of the pharmaceutical companies are pretty pretty understanding and will work with you. So if you've got a product which is expiring in three months, you might be able to swap it. 
and they might be able to provide a newer one because they'll use that for training. It's stock worth asking the yeah, question, but it's I definitely think worth asking because of the, the you know use tons of stuff. Yeah. Maybe they're a bit more yeah. happy to do that for you. I don't know. Yeah, but I, um, I think it depends on. It's worth asking your rep potentially the sure. relationship with your rep. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it's at least worth asking. At least if you're on top of it, if at least if you can say, look, it's things. They're not going to do it for you if it's expiring tomorrow. Yeah. For example, but if you're ahead of time and you go, well, that's getting a bit close. Maybe I can swap it out. Uh, yeah. You know, and I'm not saying you should do this, but if you have found a product that's expiring in the next couple of months and you you may not um you know use it to a paying customer then why not organize an event where you treat a model for cost price but at least or one of your staff yes or or just you know think of a creative way of using that product that's still compliant you know uh but but you know you're not wasting hundreds of dollars of of products yeah um other things obviously i was checking the jug book um cleanliness Uh geez cleanliness so you know most rooms would do the cursory cleaning the surfaces (laughs) and you know hopefully the trolley top and things like that but you know you look in the corner of the room and under the bed and, and you can find needles um cockroaches well yeah dirt (laughs) dust um you know used swabs and alcohol wipes it's disgusting yeah uh and i just think that you know from a from a professionalism perspective but also a a hygiene and safety perspective you've really got to take accountability as the injector in that room yeah it's different uh, to some extent when you've got three or four injectors sharing the room yeah but you know, I mean, you, you know, you know what I used to do every every sort of month or so. I'd just hop into each of the rooms and just lie on the bed and just have a look around because you notice things. It's, it's, you're not normally seated there. You see things from a different perspective. Maybe the ceiling tiles are all grotty and there's cobwebs from them and there's shit floating around in the air conditioning vent mm. that hasn't been dusted out for ages. Or, you know, you see something in the corner of the room that you can't see when you're standing up or because you never really sit there. So. It's a silly thing to do, but every so often just hop in your clinic, sit in your treatment bed and have a look around your room from a patient's perspective because yeah. you miss things a lot when you don't take a minute to actually do that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, and then obviously uh, making sure all the sharp spins are, are either locked if they're full or yep. emptied if they're if they're sort of half full. Um, checking the oxygen of the tanks oh, if, if the clinics um, a lot of, stock gosh, oxygen. I've had so many issues in the past with oxygen tanks that have a leak in the regulator. Right. And you think you've got a full tank and then you go to look and you go, holy shit, I've got like a third of a tank left or a yeah. quarter of a tank. We haven't even used any. Yeah. There's always a slow leak. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. how, how often would you use oxygen? Never. At best uh, yeah. once a year if you're, yeah, if you're maybe. unlucky. Yeah. So you, some of these things that are sitting in the corner and you can bet that the time you need that oxygen mm. is the time when it's almost empty and you, don't, you didn't know it was empty. And by the, the way, last it's not it- just the oxygen. It's having the, the tubing and the Hudson mask. Yep. Because, you know, these things are one use only. Yeah. And, uh, you know, not naming clinics, but yeah, y- you wonder sometimes whether these things are clean or fresh. <laughs> yes. So, exactly. again, you know, these, these things just really need to be accounted for. Um, so, tell us some stories about Ooh. multiple injectors um, and, oh, and drama. I want to hear God. some juicy stories. Juicy stories. Oh, you know what the interesting one is when you've got multiple injectors using the same room and someone does a different dilution on a toxin <laughs> yeah. and doesn't tell the other injector or doesn't make it known within the clinic. So someone that might be doing, um, oh, for example, someone that gets like a 300 unit file of Disport, for example, but thinks it's a 500 unit and screws up the dilution, but doesn't, manage, doesn't tell anyone else. So they're aware of it, but they haven't told anyone else. So how does that get picked up? Oh, well, when patients come back. <laughs> 
and something's gone wrong with the treatment <laughs> and they've been dosed incorrectly. Or some people or some people have, you know, like to inject with a lower dilution and a higher concentration and they've adjusted their technique to that. So yeah. just making sure that as simple as it sounds that everyone is across the dilution protocol and if you do stray from that, that you let everybody know, maybe you label that, bo that bottle, you write on it, mm. put a sticker on it. Um, it has happened before. Um, cleanliness between rooms, people having shared pots of local anesthetic that they're sort of dipping their fingers in and using it on, on people, even if you're using a glove and putting it in people's faces and then double dipping back into it again. I've, I've seen that stuff happen before, which is not good. See, I, as far as I'm aware, that kind of stuff has stopped because yeah. both from a sterility issue. It still happens in some clinics, Jake. Oh, God. It's, it's, <laughs> not mine, but it's, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Yeah. But, um, but also, um, you know, with the, with the Poisons Act yeah. and, and, and so on, if you're going to have a compounded drug, mm -hmm. it needs to be made in someone's name. So it can't be... David Segal's yeah. massive pot of local anaesthetic yeah. then used on Sally. Communal tub. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds so silly, but that stuff does happen a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the sterility thing that, that, I mean, that's awful. And, you know, and it, you know, if you've got blood on your gloves and mm -hmm. God knows what on your gloves, or you've had your finger in someone's mouth because you've been massaging their lips or whatever. Um, Be surprised. Yep. Yeah. Um, even things, um, with the di with the um, dilutant, is it dil dil diluent? Diluent. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen someone um, reconstitute Botox with hypertonic saline before and inject it into somebody. Hypertonic. Yeah, they were using it. That for That must have been fun. Oh, it was horrendous. <laughs> it's this like is a long injecting time. battery well, acid. Yeah. Well, they were. <laughs> so what happened was this this practitioner also um, did varicose veins, right. and so that's why the hypertonic saline was there, and they injected it. Um, this patient with hypertonic saline. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, it wasn't good. I can go one better than that. Um, I heard of a case where I don't understand how this happened, <laughs> but they, they made, they had Belkyra in the fridge or, or in the cupboard yeah. as well as Botox. Yeah. Or, or maybe they're doing it on the same patient. Oh <laughs> yes, and they drew up Belkyra because they the used swelling? to. Well, they used to use the <laughs> same. Doc, my, I normally don't get swelling when you do my crows. <laughs> yes, <laughs> look like a Klingon. And yeah. sadly, they drew up Belkyra thinking it was toxin, <laughs> and did a Belkyra in the upper face rather oh than in the submental region. And you know, quite understandably, that patient had a quite significant pain with each injection. They couldn't work out why. <laughs> Until after. L luckily, there were no long-term side effects, you know, like craters in the forehead. Yeah. You know something weird that I have seen happen? And I, I, someone told me this story. I wouldn't believe it, but I saw it because I was in the room at the time. And it's, it's not even a compliance thing. It's just a funny story. Well, not funny, freaky story. Um, Botox client, HIV. All right. Okay. Injecting Botox. Did one injection point. I think it was... Um, Around the so they're sort of like the, the sort of <laughs> lateral head of the brow. Before it's not funny, but no. So um, injected one one injection into sort of near the glabella, and then went to do the next injection. Yeah. And as they injected the Botox in, it came out of the other injection <laughs> hole and squirted this this person in the eye. Oh my god. Yeah, and this doctor was freaked freaked out, like months of blood tests. Wow. Yeah, I, I. I don't even know how it happened. I just, I didn't even think it would be I've possible. never seen that before. Yeah. I mean, joking aside, and I shouldn't laugh, it, um, it demonstrates, you know, 
even in theatre. They started going, wearing goggles after that. Well, yeah, <laughs> going back to theatre, when we had an HIV patient, everyone would take double precautions, yeah. would double glove, would make sure everyone's got eye um, protection, etc. So, and, and you'd warn everyone, this patient yeah. is HIV, just be extra vigilant. So if you're an injector and, and you know that your patient's HIV, definitely double glove yeah. and definitely wear some eye protection. Yeah, because, yeah. It, it just seems so obvious. But again, I don't know why we lose that translation of yeah. what you'd always do in a medical setting like a hospital into an injecting room. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Str strange. That's one of the most freaky things. I've never seen it again. Poor injector. So they were okay after it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you who it was off, off, off the Yeah, you know them. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. it was really freaky. Yeah, they think they aged <laughs> About five years in, about three months, it was. They were very stressed. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. Protocols. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, there's probably a million protocols, and I guess when you're setting up a business, particularly yeah. like yours, mm -hmm. there must be a, an operations manager yep. and sub managers and yep. books like this yep. thick with, with operations manuals. But do you have any in clinic protocols that you can sort of think of as good examples? I guess shops injuries is a good one. Shops injuries. Um, insurance claim kind of stuff as well. Right. So and complaints procedures. Complaints procedures, yeah. I mean, one of the, the big things is just making sure you're documenting every time you talk to a, a patient. Mm. Um, even you know, if it's a phone call. Even if it's or... phone, every time you make contact with a patient. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've seen it in, in, in many clinics over the years where, you know, you've just got clinical notes that are just, you know that the patient's been spoken to more than that. You know there's been multiple conversations that have mm -hmm. happened. They've emailed all these. Anytime there's correspondence or a conversation, you need to update the Absolutely. clinical that, That's a great point. You know, you may have the record of, say, the email back and forth about the bruise. Yep. But that summary or even copy of those emails probably should live in yep. the medical notes. Yep. Yep. That's a great point. Yeah. And well, patients uh, send through photos on email and then that email is not linked to the patient file. Yeah. So even we'll get onto clinical photography because that's something that we should talk about as mm. well. But yeah, I mean, systems and processes around, um, as you said, drug counts, delivering stock, discarding stock that's not useful anymore. Um, well, that's a great point yeah. because I'm sure you've told me examples and I know many other clinics where, you know, you, you find sort of half a mil of, some random filler that clearly wasn't used <laughs> yeah. on, on that day. People doing half mills and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. then and they're sort of stored either in a, you know, like a Ziploc bag in the fridge with someone's name scribbled on it. Yeah. Or worse, because I've audited clinics, you'd find it hidden behind the fridge. Yep. Or in a random cupboard sort of up somewhere where no one's going to find it. Oh, and I've, seen, I've seen one in a clinic before where you found it at the back of a fridge and it had a sticker on it. Uh, Jess's lips coming back in two weeks. I mean, what the, <laughs> what the hell am I meant to do with that information? Like, why, why is this here? You know, uh, yeah. I, I, I always say to people who I'm training, and, and I, I probably wouldn't ever use that example because it's too ridiculous, but whatever you do in your injectable room, translate that to what would you do in a hospital? Yeah. Would you draw up half someone's antibiotics and sort of hide them behind the fridge for, for later in the day or next week? Never. Yeah. Never. You'll get pressured by patients. The patients will say, look, um, sure, but the patient I only want half a mil. I want the other a mil in, you know, or can, you know what the other one is? Um, splitting syringes between friends. That's another interesting one. Man. Um, actually, let's talk about people in the room because, you know, with the friends uh, and the family and the husband and yeah. the dog. You had a dog, like a companion I've dog? I've had people try and bring their dogs in. 
it's not cool. I, I, I get it. You, you know, you're excited to have a treatment and perhaps, you know, you're, you're maybe in your twenties and, and you're there for your first time and you want some moral support, whatever. I, I get it. But at the end of the day, if I'm going to consult with someone, you know, you might uncover some sort of quite significant medical history that needs to be private or yeah. confidential or psychological, even psychological, yeah. exactly. Or, you know, and, you know, when you do a good consult, sometimes you unravel something that the patient didn't even realize why they were there for. And then the penny drops and, and, you know, it becomes a more significant yeah. consultation. So, you know, I get it. If it's just some lips and you just want to look a little bit better, fine. But, there's never a benefit of having someone in the corner egging your friend on. No. I mean, maybe the consult process potentially, but maybe that'd be about it. But once you start doing treatment, well, what happens is even during the consult, you know, you'd be asking patient questions about whatever yeah. medical history operations. Oh, I didn't know you've had an appendectomy. Yeah. When was that? Yeah. And, and, you know, it just goes on and on and on. And then it just becomes like just a joke. Yeah. And, and it, it, you know, you're trying to sort of, um, keep it sort of medical yeah. and yet it just turns into sort of a free-for-all. And I, I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this, this is probably a question for Jahan, but having another person in the room that obviously is always going to side with their friend or their relative yes, and then all of a sudden something goes wrong, you have a disagreement, you've got two people's word versus your one word. Yes. And does that put you in a compromising position? And the other thing as well is like, I remember the first time I saw an injectable treatment, I remember it was, it was I went to... Luna Park. No, it was down near um, Circular Quay and it was when Gal Derma had just brought out Sub-Q and Stephen Liu was doing an intraoral injection a video. He'd done an intraoral, um, injecting it intraorally and it was on a, a video that he was presenting. And it was a, one of the first times that I'd saw this happen and I f almost fainted. Yeah. It was so confronting because I'd never seen it before. Now it's just like it's normal. So you can imagine you're sitting there with your friend in the room and you, you know, you're doing their cheeks or their jawline and all of a sudden they see this needle underneath the skin. Yes. That, you, that, might, see, you might get someone fainting or having like correct. An, a, an episode because it's not something they've seen before. I mean, it's a bit weird the first time you see it. I have had, I'm not even making this up, uh, a fiancé came with his wife-to-be. Yeah. He was in the corner and I'd already had the discussion about, hey, sure you want to be here, blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> Should be right, mate. <laughs> he peed himself. Really? Didn't, didn't faint. He peed himself. And uh, I shouldn't be laughing. Yeah. It, I mean, yeah. it was. I mean, it was just so bizarre. But also, it was awful because I could see the disgust from his wife to him. Like, <laughs> what the. F you know, it was just bizarre. It, the, the whole mood just changed and, and it was awkward. And what's this poor guy going to do? And um, it was it was completely unnecessary. Well, lucky it wasn't a number two. That would have been really uh, awkward. Yeah. But I, I think it was the shock of, of watching what was going on. I, I can't explain it any other way. It is weird. The first, I mean, you become, you become conditioned after a while when you've seen these things. It just becomes, yeah. you know, normalized to a certain extent. But yeah. the first time you see a needle going in, you can see it move like a liposuction cannula. You can see this needle moving under the skin and poking around and it's quite it, it looks worse than yeah. it is yes. for sure but again you don't need that dynamic of someone going oh my god yeah or, oh geez and the patient's trying to remain calm and their 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 partner's like having having a having kitties a in the corner yeah yeah Full on. so it's a no-no from me um but also 
obviously pets, but also children. That that that's something that sometimes, well, from the patient's perspective, can't be avoided because yeah. you know they don't have daycare, or whatever. But you know, clinics have got lasers. We've mentioned things like sharps injuries and you know wires and God knows what else in injectable rooms. And it, you know, there's potential risks. Well, also, um, are you a licensed childcare um, supervisor, nope. whatever that is? I mean, if you not. Uh, there's lots of, I mean, to open up like a child daycare centre in Australia, like there's a lot of rules and regulations involved and checks that you need to have and all this sort of stuff. I mean, are you responsible for someone else's child? You get them all the time where someone will come in and just expect you to babysit their their child while they have their treatment in the room. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what happens if that child trips over and cracks their head open or breaks their nose or yeah. does something tragic? Is that your fault now? Because you were supposed to be looking after them. Yeah. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it's it's a problem. <sighs> Well, you probably need to be saying sorry. Just yeah, it's no. really yeah. I mean, would you turn up to have a you know a medical procedure that you like? You know, would you go to your GP's office and and get bring your child in with you? I don't know. Maybe you would, but it's it's definitely a difficult situation when you're. It's putting, more elective, isn't it? Yeah, when you're putting responsibility on people to take care of your child for you, it's mm, could go could go bad. I don't know if people think about that. Yeah. Um. So we've discussed quite a lot of yeah. I guess, bullet points, but what about solutions? Yeah. So one thing that I know that, I don't know if you've done personally, but you've mentioned the idea of secret shoppers. Yeah. So how does that work in practice? Firstly, how do you get a secret shopper? Well, there are companies out there that do them. So if you just hop on the internet, on, on the Googles right. and have a look, you'll, you'll find professional companies that do. And there are certain companies around, um, I know in Australia, there's a few that do it specifically for this industry or they have people in their business that specialize in going and having these treatments done so they know what to look for mm. um, it doesn't even have to be official although those companies tend to have like a criteria yeah they know exactly what they're looking for um, and they'll give you like a detailed like analysis or report on what they experienced from when they walked what was the experience of the booking like um that was the clinic running on time, the cleanliness of the clinic, how were they greeted at front desk, mm. um, how long were they waiting before they saw their, their practitioner, how did the practitioner, um, I guess, communicate with them, was their procedure explained, did they feel comfortable, how was the treatment process itself, aftercare, consent, follow-up, et cetera, et cetera. So they'll sort of document all these types of things because, as you said, you don't know what's going on in the room. No. Even if you're another medical professional that owns the business, like how do you know what so-and-so is doing in one of your treatment rooms and the door's closed and there's a private conversation going on. Yeah. You can't just sort of go, hey, I'm just observing for the day. I'm just going to see what's going on. I mean, maybe you can do that with a new injector, but it's not something you can do all the time. And plus, you want to know what's going on when someone doesn't think they're being watched. Well, I'm, I'm happy to say this because we won't mention names. I remember when I first started working with you, yeah. there was some inter-injector politics going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was getting calls from you saying, Jake... Um, <laughs> We need to meet for a coffee, and 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 I'm like, okay, this seems really serious. And we'd sit down, and and you'd give me this list of stuff that the other injector had been saying that I'd been doing in the room, or, yeah. and then it got to the point where you actually contacted the patient, and the patient was like, no, that didn't happen. Yeah, and so these things happen. Yeah, you know, it's just crazy. Yeah, and uh, we never really got to bottom what was going on with that, but uh, professional jealousy, I think. Um, but yeah, so the secret shoppers, you can find professional, you can find professional companies that do it or even just friends or relatives who are happy to come in and give you their personal view on how things went. Mm. So it's just important to 
be able to check and monitor what's going on within your practice or your business because could be uh, quite confronting because ne- you know you're never going to get a perfect day or, or unlikely yeah you know you might have someone who's a bit rushed maybe a bit yeah. gruff at the reception whatever yeah and you know you you what are you going to do with that information? Well, generally, you're looking for patterns as a business owner. Yeah. So, I mean, so everyone can have a bad day. There's going to always be an aberration where something went wrong or, you know, it was just one person's opinion versus another. But when you start seeing a pattern forming, when yeah. it's like two people, three people, four people giving you the same feedback, then you've got the basis of mm. what potentially could be a concern where you might have to have a discussion. But, you know, I let my team know all the time that secret shoppers are, are, are just a part of business i mean how else do you know what's going on yeah i mean the door's closed yeah how how much do you weigh as a business patient feedback and i don't mean mm. the odd one star out of five on google because yeah. someone had one hair left on their laser hair yeah. removal but you know like you said there's no smoke without fire and, and if you start getting a weight of mm-hmm. average reviews or or complaints yeah. like how do you delve into that um, you know, so a patient complaining about, well, if you get multiple, multiple sort of complaints that aren't like inverted commas serious, but there's mm. a pattern forming. Yeah. I mean, I've always of the opinion that just having upfront, honest conversations with people is always the best way to go. The longer you leave things, the more you shy away from having what could be perceived as a confrontational conversation. Mm. You're not getting any closer to a solution. In fact, you're reinforcing bad behavior. So I think it just starts with just a very open and honest conversation. I mean, you're not there to attack someone personally. It's not like you dislike them as a person. It's about someone's behavior yeah. or what they're choosing to do within within the workplace. So I think it just starts with bringing it to their attention. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to have it outside of the clinic, potentially somewhere that's neutral. You want to be able to make them feel comfortable. Sometimes in clinic where there's other people around that can listen, you, you sort of, you want to try and respect people's privacy and be able to have like private conversations without them becoming, you know, the gossip. That's um, when you took me for coffee. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think sometimes taking someone out and just saying, look, I'm getting this feedback. You know, what do you think about that? Do you think it's relevant? Can you talk to any of these, these sort of um, instances? And just, it's, it's hard to give an exact piece of advice on what to do other than get, the, fe- get the feedback, to- bring it to people's attention, you know, always give people the benefit of the doubt, be diplomatic, be polite, um, and just agree on how you're going to move forward to avoid these things happening in the future. I mean, is it the way that potentially something's being communicated? Is it a problem that keeps reoccurring around, I felt rushed? Or I felt that Dr. Jake was was rude, or he was arrogant, or never. he was never. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, so it's just about having honest conversations and looking for patterns, nipping them in the bud early, and just being on top of your business. You're a great boss. I miss I, you. I, I think it's just about being consistent as well. And also, no, it's true. Yeah, I, I think I've seen you work with your teams and your staff, and it's been multiple staff. Like you, you know, some bosses are very knee jerk reaction, and they just. You know, they'll they'll just take the patient side or or, yeah. or vice versa. Well, yeah, well, that's and, a good, and it doesn't work either way. Well, I think that's a good point. You know, there's a lot of people that own businesses in this space that don't understand this business. Yeah, and so I think to earn the respect of, even though I'm not an injector, I know that I can have a relatively intelligent conversation with an injector. I can't do your job, but I understand your job. To a <laughs> I wouldn't have invited you on the podcast yeah. if you couldn't. Yeah, so I can sit there and understand, well, what is a realistic outcome? You know, is it warranted that this patient wants to have you deregistered because they got a bruise? Yeah. No, it's not. So I think it's the responsibility of the business owner. If you want to have a business in this space, that you take the time to educate yourself. And that way, at least your injectors know that you understand 
their perspective. You can have an intelligent, informed conversation. You understand what is realistic, what is a good outcome, what is not a good outcome. Is this patient just being a pain in the butt? Do they have unrealistic expectations? Are they just one of these people that are serial complainers that just want to try and get money out of a business? So I think that if your injector knows that you've gone to the effort to understand their job, and that you can have it in conversation and you can empathize with their position. I think it goes a long way in being yeah. able to resolve issues and also not uh, letting them know that they can't pull the wool over your eyes. They yeah. can't just bullshit to you and know that you have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, and I guess uh, probably to wrap up this podcast, but also from what you were saying, if that clinic owner maybe isn't, you know, fully aware of injectables yeah. or aesthetics or cosmetic procedures, yeah. They also need to go and check the law. Yeah. Go and check what actually the regulatory yeah. guidelines are. Yeah. Go and check what the medical legal advice is. And, you know, knit all of that together and make sure that you do have your protocols. And not that you have them, but they're advertised and everyone knows them. Yeah. Uh, and, and and put into place these monthly audits and, and create systems. Yeah. There's a couple of things I wanted to just mention before we do sign off. God, it's been nearly an hour and a half. God, we can talk. Um, uh, insurance. So insurance is a big thing. It's not a medico legal thing, but if the shit hits the fan, you want to make sure that your insurer can't run away from covering you. Um, so there are systems in place where you can, like software systems and um, I can't think of any of the names off the top of my head, but they do exist where as soon as, basically as soon as you become aware that something could become a litigation or potentially could become the basis for a serious complaint, you need to notify your insurer straight away. Mm. Um, I've seen instances where people have an issue. They know there's a patient that's got a major issue. They know that it's a complication. They don't notify the insurer. All of a sudden things escalate. They get a letter from a lawyer. And then the insurance company turns around and says, well, you didn't notify us, therefore you're not covered by your insurance. And all of a sudden you're on your own. Wow. Yeah. So talk to, your, talk to your insurer, no matter what country you're in or whatever region, if you're in Australia, talk to your insurance company and find out what their policy is, when they need to be notified. Yep. And there are systems, software systems in place that allow, even if even if the claim becomes nothing, which in off many, like 99 times out of 100, if you manage your patients well, it won't become an issue. Yeah. But... Um, Early notification is really, really important because the last thing you want to be, do, be doing is having no someone like Jahan coming after you or one of these big <laughs> no-win, no-fee lawyers who these patients have got nothing to lose. These insurance, these uh, legal firms make no money until they actually win the case. So they'll take on they'll take on a whole lot of cases and they'll pick the ones that they think they're going to win and the client doesn't have to pay anything yeah. and they're coming after you. And if you don't have your insurance company covering you, it can cost you, well, you could have claims of, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars coming against you. With your good notes. With your good notes. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing was clinical photography. Mm. Um, big risk is photographs on phones, photographs on iPads. It's a no-no from my, from my perspective. What do you feel about maybe having it, you know, not everyone is comfortable using an SLR camera yeah. or, or professional photography, but what about a dedicated clinic iPad or, or even phone if you want well, to go just, that way around. You just want to make sure that it's secure. So um, what happens if that iPad gets stolen from your clinic? One of your staff members takes it home yeah, yeah, and then decides that they don't like you anymore because you're a bad boss or you had a falling out with them or you fired them. I mean, I, I guess of, that argument is true for a proper camera as well. Well, it is, but there are systems in place where photographs will automatically go from a camera to a secure server that can't be accessed. Right. So where are those photographs stored? So is that camera then wiped? 
Yeah, it doesn't have an it doesn't have an SD card in it. It's okay, linked automatically so it's just to a, a tool system. to take the photo. And then yeah, because it is a risk. I mean, these mobile devices. I had a friend that had a mobile phone stolen from their front desk in the middle of a shopping center about three weeks ago. Yes, you told um, me about that. Yeah, and so these things can happen. Um, so having multiple mobile devices, whether they be iPads or phones, mm. not only the fact that it's not best practice because those lenses, as we learned in episode, I can't remember what it is with <laughs> with, with Woodrow. With Woodrow, yeah, was that you know those lenses distort your images as well. Yeah, depending um, on how they're done, you're right. Yeah. yeah, so that's a big thing because those devices can go missing. Mm. And then, yeah. And then I guess same thing as what we were saying about notes and, and, and cloud storage, yeah. same for the photos. Yeah, absolutely. Um, was there anything else that I needed to talk about? I think that was it. I think those are the two major ones I, I wanted to I think we've done add. this to death. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're sort of a newer listener, we've, we've covered a lot of these topics in various podcasts. Yeah. We definitely did the one in uh, episode 126, but there's other ones with Fresh Clinics yeah. where we've gone into compliance in quite a lot of detail. And also Ruan. And Ruan for a medical legal yeah. perspective. So dip into the, the, the back catalogue if, if mm-hmm. you want to know more about these topics because we're going to keep on coming back to them. Yeah. It's just not going to go away. Um, be interesting to see what's going on in the UK with, with yeah. their sort of new life license for clinics and um yeah it's going to be interesting and i think there's some changes coming here soon that i mean that's inevitable that there is going to be something that happens soon so what would you like to see happen forget what will happen what would make your life better and injectors lives better i think um just a standardized um training a recognized training scheme so when you get a CV in front of you or you have a new injector wanting to start at your clinic, that you know if they hold that level of qualification that they have they have passed a certain level mm. of competency. I mean, um, and so that makes it it makes it hard for business owners because you no, know, not everyone has been in the industry for as long as I have. So you've got people that own businesses that don't know what they're looking at. I've got to say, I've thought about this to death. And again, going back to the UK, they've got something called the Level 7 um, I think it's called a diploma, but yeah. level seven, which are basically is a, a level of competence that is recognised across the board as you know a standard where people can achieve. And and if you haven't got it, you're not level seven. Yeah. Now that's fine. So you can look at the CV and say, oh, cool, you've got level seven, but you can still be a crap injector. Yeah. Because. There is an OSCE component, meaning a practical component, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the bar's going to be relatively low, otherwise no one will be able to get the qualification. And a lot of it's theory and exams and multiple choice and even essays, depending on how far you take these things. So, I don't know. Yes, it's a minimum standard, but is it going to be useful? Is it going to tell you this injector's sensible, skilled... And so on. I I don't know. Well, it's not even just about the initial qualification. It's about, well, how do you know that you're continuing to educate yourself if you haven't done a treatment for however long. Yeah. And are you still like suitable to do that treatment if you haven't done mm. an area for three years yep. and all of a sudden the patient comes in, is it still within your scope? Well, well I brought up the concept of logbooks. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in episode 20, 126, I, I sort of mentioned that as maybe something useful and you know, I, I just think it was seen as impractical. Mm. But at the end of the day, like you said, if I haven't done a temple in three years, probably shouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Um, or or a new area that uh, with something that I've never used or, yeah. or a new product yeah. that, you know, I don't know exactly how it will handle. The, the, I, I think it's, I don't know, it might be the way forward. No, yeah. It's not going to be the be all and end all, but it does prove, or it gives you a level or an idea of competence. If I'm doing tear troughs three times a week, 
then you know and i'm not getting many complications then you could probably say well okay you, you yeah. probably mastered that yeah um but you know i don't know i don't i don't think there's going to be an all-encompassing exam or qualification i it would be a nice idea but i don't know if it translates to better injectors i don't know yeah and also i guess because it's it's so well to a certain extent i mean assuming safety's out the window in terms of that's just a prerequisite that everyone's operating in a safe way mm. is that who's to say your aesthetic result is acceptable than someone else's isn't correct. I mean, it's art at the end of the day, kind of. Yeah. So a little I mean, bit, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, someone may think that giant lips look great Yeah. and who's to say that your opinion of them not being great is correct. Correct. I mean, I'm in the same school of you, a school of thought as you, by the way, just for the record. Well, if but Dr. Steve Harris was on the marking board, he, you know, yeah. his, his aesthetic would be very different correct. to someone else. So it's a difficult one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, food for thought. Maybe we, more we'll, problems than solutions. <laughs> we'll continue this in episode 406. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening, guys. Yes, thank um, you. We will, of course, uh, put some mini clips up on YouTube. Yep. So, we'll, we're slowly catching up with the videos. So, we'll, yeah. we'll sort of be up to date very soon. Yeah. Um, if you're keen to get on the WhatsApp group for, for listeners and you know, have a bit of a bit more communication with us, we'll start firing up some stories on Instagram so you get access to the WhatsApp yeah. group. Yeah. Imagine put like a story up of the, of the little QR yeah, the code. QR code. That's what I did last oh, time. Oh, there you go. We'll do it again. Yeah. Um, was there anything else that we wanted to mention? Oh, the YouTube channel. Well, we've... Check it out. <laughs> well, yeah, we just said that. <laughs> um, that's it, I think. Oh, we've got some really exciting episodes coming up. You know, Disasters and Solutions, which is going to be yeah, an interesting one. Yeah, so that's our new miniseries. We'll, we'll record the first one, I think, next Sunday. Yep. Uh, with um, Cormac Convery. He's a British... Um, located doctor he's got an interesting case to tell us about good uh, and actually if you're listening and, and you've c come across a real weird problem or or a disaster case that, study. that you have managed yourself yeah and had the solution for get in touch we'd, we'd love to showcase weird yeah. and wonderful things um injector diaries is still going really strong that's being really well received and then also well side effects we, we covered you know we did highlights last week we're going to um, cover delayed onset nodules yes. we're going to talk about bruising which yeah. is a really it sounds stupid but it's a whole it's, episode it's on bruising might not sound that interesting but we'll, we'll go into it in great yeah. detail so there's plenty of good stuff to come but as jake said send us through ideas suggestions um we love hearing from you guys we certainly don't have all the ideas um so share them with us and help us make this better perfect guys take care thank you bye see ya for our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 